This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 95. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. So for this week's episode, I wanted to talk about something that's not directly photography-related, but it does still tie back to photography for those of you that are concerned about that. And so this week's topic is Apple Silicon and what does it mean for us or for you? Earlier this year at their annual Worldwide Developers Conference in June of 2020, Apple unveiled what they are calling Apple Silicon as the future of their systems, their computer systems. For those of you that don't know, Apple computers originally had what was known as a Motorola BRISC processor as its core CPU. In 2005, Steve Jobs told everyone at the Worldwide Developers Conference that year that Apple would be switching to Intel processors because their PowerPC architecture couldn't give them the speed they wanted, nor could it provide them with the reduced power consumption that Apple wanted going forward. And I'll have a little bit more, I'll have some audio from Steve Jobs a little bit later on that. But this was a huge deal for Apple. I mean, massive, as they had to create a plan for making the switch over to a new CPU architecture and new instruction sets based off the x86 platform, which is what Intel and AMD processors use, instead of PowerPC. In order to not blow off their customers who had been using PowerPC Macs for years, Apple had to come up with a way for existing customer software, existing software, to run on the new platform, and hence Rosetta was born. To bridge that gap, okay, so Rosetta allowed Intel Macs to still run PowerPC software and give software vendors more time to port their code over to the new architecture. Now, Apple is making the switch once again, only this time, Apple is going to their own CPUs called Apple Silicon. In order to make this two-year transition easier for all of us, they've introduced Rosetta 2. Rosetta 2 will allow Intel-based software to run on Apple Silicon so that your favorite programs will still run on new Macs while the software vendors port over their code to run natively on the new Apple hardware architecture. But why is Apple doing all of this, you might be wondering. Well, Apple has been producing iPhones, iPads, and iPod Touches, other products for 10 years now and all of those products have been running on Apple Silicon. The advantages for Apple is they make all of the design and development plans and implement them, and in return, we get fantastic hardware that runs beautifully with the software that Apple already has. Apple basically keeps the two things married married together, their software and their hardware, 
and it's a very beautiful and seamless and reliable and stable platform for an entire system. Now, with Apple Silicon, Apple has been using ARM-based, what are called ARM-based processors uh, in their mobile devices for quite some time. And they're not the only ones. Samsung, uh, Google Pixel, all of these smartphones run on ARM processors. Now, the nice thing about that is the ARM CPUs use a smaller, more simplified instruction set to carry out tasks when compared to the extremely complex instruction sets that are needed on an x86 processor to perform various tasks, no matter what it is, whether it's uh, uh, surfing the web or editing a photo or a video or making a phone call, whatever the case may be. Now, by using a smaller, simpler instruction set, Apple can create CPUs that run cooler and consume less energy. Some of you may already know that smartphones and tablets can run for hours on end, performing all kinds of complex tasks and programs, and yet they stay fairly cool pretty much all the time. Now, especially compared to your desktop or laptop. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that mobile devices don't get warm or even hot at times. But when you think about all the processing intensive things that we run on them, they don't get nearly as warm as a laptop or desktop. And the mobile device you have may or may not, you may not, may or may not have noticed, they don't have any cooling fans. So it's really impressive that mobile devices stay as cool as they do when they don't have any cooling fans and exhaust ports to exhaust heat. Now, the reason for this is the ARM-based processors that are the core CPUs inside these devices. Because of the smaller and simpler instruction sets and architecture, these CPUs can run faster while consuming less energy and producing far less heat than an Intel or AMD processor in the x86 architecture can do. This means devices with incredibly long battery life that can process the most intense programs like Lightroom CC and Photoshop CC on the iPad or iMovie or GarageBand, whether that's on your iPad or your iPhone. One of Apple's long philosophies has been to create powerful devices that look elegant, and you can see that in every device that Apple currently makes, whether it's the iPhone, the iPad Pro, the MacBook Pro, or the iMac, or the Mac Pro Tower. Apple wants their devices to be powerful and yet beautiful to look at. They want your device to not only do the work they are intended for, but to make your environment look more attractive at the same time. And that's really huge to Apple. Now, Apple, because of this, Apple does tend to put form before function at times. And this is why we run into issues with Apple computers. They get too hot and then the Intel CPU has to throttle in order to compensate and allow the system to cool down and run at a cooler temperature. Apple doesn't like putting all kinds of fans in their devices. Now, don't get me wrong, their desktop computers like my iMac, my MacBook Pro, yes, they have cooling fans in them and they have exhaust ports. But Apple's never been a big fan of having fans in their, in their devices. Um, they would rather avoid that if at all possible. Um, so, uh, because they have to use fans to, to cool down their x86 processors, their instruction sets are so complex, these processors run so much hotter than ARM processors 
and they're way less energy efficient as well. Now, I'm not bashing Intel or AMD. I don't want you to think that. I personally did not make the switch to Apple until Apple made the transition to Intel CPUs because I never liked the PowerPC processors that Apple went to when they could no longer use the old Motorola RISC processors. They had too many limitations. They couldn't get past certain processor power barriers as far as performance and speed. Um, and this is why Apple made the switch to Intel. And as such, Steve Jobs said this in the at the 2005 Worldwide Developers Conference. Now, let's go to a big topic, transitions. Let's talk about transitions. The Mac in its history has had two major transitions so far, right? The first one, 68K to PowerPC. And that transition happened about 10 years ago in the mid-90s. I wasn't here then, but the team then did a great job from everything I hear. And the PowerPC, the PowerPC set Apple up for the next decade. It was a good move. The second major transition, though, has been even bigger. And that's the transition from OS 9 to OS 10 that we just finished a few years ago, the early part of this decade. This was a brain transplant. And even though these operating systems vary in name only by one, they are worlds apart in their technology. OS 10 is the most advanced operating system on the planet, and it has set Apple up for the next 20 years. Today, it's time to begin a third transition. We want to constantly be making the best computers for you and the rest of our users. And so it's time for a third transition. And yes, it's true. We are going to begin the transition from the PowerPC to Intel processors. And we are going to begin it for you now and for our customers next year. Now, why are we going to do this? <laughs> right? Didn't we just get through going from OS 9 to OS 10? Isn't the business great right now? Why do we want another transition? Because we want to be making the best computers for our customer looking forward. Now, I stood up here two years ago in front of you, and I promised you this. And we haven't been able to deliver that to you yet. I think a lot of you would like a G5 in your PowerBook, and we haven't been able to deliver that to you yet. But these aren't even the most important reasons. The most important reasons are that as we look ahead, though we have great products right now, and we've got some great PowerPC products still yet to come, as we look ahead, we can envision some amazing products we want to build for you. And we don't know how to build them with the future PowerPC roadmap. And that's why we're going to do this. When we look at Intel, they've got great performance, yes. But they've got something else that's very important to us. Just as important as performance is power consumption. And the way we look at it is performance per watt. For one watt of power, how much performance do you get? And when we look at the future roadmaps projected out mid-2006 and beyond, what we see is the power PC gives us sort of 15 units of performance per watt. But the Intel roadmap in the future gives us 70. And so this tells us what we have to do.
Now, this is not going to be a transition that happens overnight. It's going to happen over a period of a few years. Again, we've got great products right now, and we've got some great PowerPC products in the pipeline yet to, to be introduced. But starting next year, we will begin introducing Macs with Intel processors in them, and over time, this transition will occur. So when we meet here again this time next year, our plan is to be shipping Macs with Intel processors by then. And when we meet here again two years from now, our plan is that the transition will be mostly complete, and we think it will be complete by the end of 2007. So this is a two-year transition. So, first transition, 68K to PowerPC. Second transition, OS 9 to OS 10. We're going to begin a third transition from the PowerPC to Intel processors. There are two major challenges in this transition. The first one is making Mac OS X sing on Intel processors, right? Now, I have something to tell you today. Mac OS X has been leading a secret double life for the past five years. There have been rumors to this effect. But this is Apple's campus in Cupertino. Let's zoom in on it. In that building right there, we've had teams doing the just-in-case scenario. And our rules have been that our designs for OS X must be processor independent and that every project must be built for both the PowerPC and Intel processors. And so today, for the first time, I can confirm the rumors that every release of Mac OS X has been compiled for both PowerPC and Intel. This has been going on for the last five years. Just in case. So Mac OS X is cross-platform by design right from the very beginning. So, Mac OS X is singing on Intel processors, and I'd just like to show you right now. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the system I've been using here, let's go have a look. Let's go have a look here. There we go. So, we've been running on an Intel system all morning. And let me just go, uh, you know, do, do a few simple things. Uh, baseball, you know, boom. All the normal stuff just works. Let's go back to these uh, dashboard widgets that we just brought out. There they are. And, um, you know, we can even, uh, let's see here, uh, you know, go find a calendar event here. Very simple. Let me go uh, show you mail. There's mail right here. Safari. Here's, uh, here's the new widget stuff. Way to find some widgets. Boom. On apple.com. Let me show you iPhoto. 
Loading in uh, 4,000 photos. Here they are. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, let me go ahead and play a movie. Here's a, let me get rid of this. Here's a movie trailer here. From Doug Lyman, director of the Born Identity, Brad Pitt. Come on, sweetheart. I'm your daddy. Angelina Jolie. I'm your daddy now. All right, enough of that. Um, so, this is Mac OS X running on Intel processors. So as you can see, if you're watching this episode on YouTube or you're listening to the audio podcast, Apple needed to go to Intel at the time to keep moving their products forward and to keep making them better, more powerful, and less power consuming than they had been with the PowerPC architecture. Well, that is why Apple is making the switch again. By going to Apple Silicon, Apple can continue to make new, powerful products that use significantly less power and generate considerably less heat. With this transition, Apple will no longer have their hands tied by the limitations of the x86 architecture, and they will be able to continue to make massive advancements in their products. And I'm going to take a moment right here to pause for our commercials. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Liam Photography Podcast. You can visit the homepage for the show at liamphotographypodcast.com for show notes and links. You can call or text the show at 470-294-8191 with questions, comments, or requests for future episodes. If you prefer not to call or text, you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. Also, check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group, and you can find us on Twitter at LiamPhotoATL. On Twitter, you can tweet the show. Just insert the hashtag LiamPhotoPodcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back. So, uh, the Apple Silicon processors are smaller, thinner, and more powerful while using less energy than anything that Intel can currently create and because Apple did all of the R&D and builds the processors themselves, they also have less overhead, so they don't have to pay someone else for the CPUs that are going in their products. Another big change coming as part of this transition is Apple will also be making their own GPUs, which is the graphical processing unit, the video card. Uh, currently, Apple has been using a combination of Intel, AMD, and even in some cases, NVIDIA video chipsets in their Intel-based Macs. But with the change to Apple Silicon, Apple will be making their own GPUs as well as part of the overall Apple Silica chip. So the CPU and GPU are going to be a single chip form factor. Now, this has already been happening for the last 10 years, ever since Apple released the iPhone in 2007. All of Apple's mobile devices use their CPU-GPU combination chips, and the power performance and reduction in power consumption is why these devices are so powerful and versatile, and yet have batteries that last incredibly long. The iPhone 11 Pro has a 10.5-hour battery life. The iPhone 11 Pro Max has a 13-hour battery life. 
The battery life in the new 11-inch iPad Pro Gen 2 is 8 to 10 hours of normal use. And on the new 16-inch MacBook Pro, we see impressive 11-hour battery life. Now, keep in mind, if you're using more intense programs such as photo or editing software, Lightroom, Photoshop, Final Cut, Adobe, After Effects, things like that, you're still going to have significantly less battery life. If you're doing general things like emails, web surfing, stuff like that, you can get that much longer battery life, which makes sense because the system is doing less overall work and overall processing. Now, with the move to Apple Silicon CPU-GPU combination, I believe that we will see laptops with up to a 24-hour battery life. Now, I'm not saying that you could post-process images for 24 hours straight before you need to, need to plug in your laptop and charge it. But if you're using the MacBook Pro for web surfing, email, stuff like that, then yes, 24-hour battery life is extremely possible. If you're post-processing images in, say, Lightroom Classic, it's probably going to be more like 8 to 10 hours of battery life. But this is crazy considering a current Intel MacBook can do the same task for, what, maybe 4 or 5 hours if you're lucky? Because of all the additional processing that's going on, it just consumes the battery a heck of a lot faster. Now, the other side of it, from the processing power standpoint, is, and I believe this is, and I believe this is one of the reasons for making the switch, is Apple will be able to create Macs that are twice as fast, if not faster, than the current Intel-based models. The transistors and CPUs are getting smaller and packed more tightly together every couple of years, and the fact that CPUs are getting thinner with these new modern transistors that allows them to process faster and faster while basically sipping power and generating far less heat. Will we eventually see Macs that don't need any cooling fans at all? Possibly, but we'll have to wait and see. Apple prides itself on making the heat sinks, which is the metal that dissipates the heat around the CPU, larger and more of the overall design of the chassis. So maybe someday they can make a system that is totally without a fan. But I wouldn't bank on it. It's probably not practical, at least not anytime soon. Rather, the fans can get smaller and quieter to the point where you pretty much almost don't even hear them anymore. And that would be really cool. Now, Apple has already released prototype Mac Minis with Apple Silicon for developers so that they can start porting their code over to run on the new architecture, just like they did back in 2005 when they made the switch to the Intel-based system. And although these developers have all signed non-disclosure agreements, Rumors are swirling that these prototype machines can already hold their own against modern Intel x86 CPUs, which is just ridiculous because these machines, I mean, right now this software is all running in Rosetta 2, which translates the architecture from x86 to the new Apple Silicate language. So, I mean, that's, that's insane. So if these machines can match the power of performance of a current Intel processor when not even running native code, imagine how much faster they will be when the code is native. Additionally, remember, these Mac Minis are running two-year-old Apple Silicon from the current iPad Pros. So it's not even a CPU-GPU chip that was specifically designed 
for laptops and desktops. Will this transition be quick and easy? Absolutely not. There's just no way that's going to happen. Uh, there is going to be a transition period of two years, just like there was in 2005 when Apple switched to Intel-based systems. Apple will be releasing new Macs with Intel processors for the next two to three years. They've already said that. But they are rolling out the first Apple Silicon models sometime before the end of 2020. The rumors are there's going to be a new 14-inch MacBook Pro to replace the current 13-inch. And there's already a 16-inch MacBook Pro to replace the old 15-inch, 15 and 17-inch because Apple always made a 13, a 15, and a 17. Now it looks like going forward, Apple is going to do a 14-inch and a 16-inch. And what size on the, the, uh, the MacBook Airs, I'm not sure. I don't know if they're going to stay with the same sizes or if they're going to go a little bit bigger like they did on the lower-end MacBook Pro. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But these are supposed to be coming out, at least the first machines, whether it's multiple models or not, by the end of 2020. Now, is this some sudden thing that Tim Cook just decided to do this year? No. If you remember from what Steve Jobs said in 2005, we have been, quote, we have been planning this for five years. When it comes to move to Apple Silicon and the Macs, I believe Apple has been working on this for probably at least five years as they have some really smart folks working for them that knew they were going to hit the wall, so to speak, when it came to the limitations of the x86 architecture. So I'm fairly confident that Apple has been developing Mac OS on both x86 and ARM for quite some time now, for at least, for at least that long, five years minimum. Now, keep in mind that every year that Apple released new operating systems, the gap between their operating systems got smaller. All of their operating systems were merging closer and closer together, whether it's iOS, iPadOS, tvOS, macOS. The gap has been getting smaller and smaller. And they kept saying for the longest time that, no, you know, iOS stuff won't run on Mac, blah, blah, blah. And now they're saying it will. Uh, that's the other thing that they're excited about going to Apple Silicon is all of the programs that can currently run on your iPad or iPhone will be able to run on the Mac as well. So it's giving you the best of everything. So that's what we've been seeing happening for a little while now. So um, Apple is already working on Mac OS on both architectures at the same time. I'm really, really confident in that just from Apple's track record of how they do things. So let me get back to the transitional pains. There will be bumps in the road, just as there were in the mid 2000s when Apple made their last architecture change. And since Apple is, uh, this is Apple's third CPU transition, Apple is the expert at this. They've done this twice before, from the Motorola RISC to the PowerPC, from the PowerPC to Intel x86, and now from Intel x86 to Apple Silicon. This is their third time around doing this. So <laughs> if anybody knows what they're doing uh, to make this a smoother transition for their customers, it's Apple. They're the experts at this. Um, so it's not going to be flawless, but it's going to be a heck of a lot smoother than it would be for any other company on the market. Now, we already saw at Worldwide Developers Conference this year that Apple software is already ready. 
Final Cut Pro 10, Logic Pro 10, Apple's Office Suite with Keynote, Numbers, Pages, all of that software is already good to go and Apple has already been working with their closest partners like Adobe for quite some time on this. Apple and Adobe have a super, super close relationship. They're really tight like this. And I guarantee that Adobe's known about this for a while now. But again, non-disclosure agreement. So Adobe isn't going to spill the beans. Apple and them are, those two companies are super close. And they love working on projects like this together. Now, I don't even think there will be bumps in the road for Adobe's Creative Cloud software suite. Now, my friend Jeff Harmon over at the Photo Taco podcast a few weeks back, he did an episode on the same subject, and he predicted that even Adobe was going to have bumps and there was it was going to be a rough transition for them. But I disagree, Jeff, and I love you, dude. You're a great guy, and I've loved having you on the show, but I disagree. Now, Jeff and I are both IT guys. Uh, I've been doing IT for 30 years. Uh, Jeff, I think, is getting close to that long in the field. Um, but the reason why I disagree is you have to look at it this way. Not only is Adobe one of Apple's closest partners in the software world, but Adobe already has Lightroom CC, uh, Lightroom CC and Photoshop on the iPad. And the iPad is running Apple Silicon. So I don't think there's going to be nearly as hard a time or as many bumps in the road for Adobe as there's going to be for other smaller software vendors out there. I just think it's going to be a lot easier for Adobe. Now, granted, Adobe hasn't ported over their entire Creative Cloud suite to Apple Silicon yet. They've only done Photoshop and Lightroom. But by having already done Photoshop and Lightroom, they're already light years ahead of a lot of other software companies. And I'm not saying that all of the smaller software companies are going to suffer. Um, now, the companies that will have a harder time are smaller ones like Luminar, uh, Capture One, On One Photo Raw. But I predict that they too will be ready within Apple's two-year time frame. All of these companies have really smart folks working for them, developing their software. They're making massive improvements to their software all the time. Every year, their software gets better and better, especially now that companies like Luminar are embracing AI and implementing it into everything. You know, this year, they've got Luminar AI coming out, which is a total rebuild of their Luminar photo editing software from what we currently have that only had a little bit of AI in it. And other smaller companies, I don't think will struggle quite as much because they already have an advantage like Adobe in that they've already been developing for Apple Silicon. And one of them that comes to mind for me, because they're who I'm using now in place of Photoshop, is Affinity Photo. Affinity already has their photo app for both the Intel Macs and for the iPad. They've had it for the iPad for a couple of years now. So they already have the instruction sets in place to talk to the Apple Silicon CPU architecture as well as x86. So I think for a company like them, it's going to be a reasonably smooth transition. I'm not saying it's going to be flawless by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think, unlike Jeff, I don't think it's going to be as rough for a big company, especially like Adobe. And I don't think it's going to be quite as rough for some of the smaller ones like Affinity that have already ported their software to Apple Silicon on the iPhone and iPad. I think that's just going to make it easier for those companies because 
they are going to know going forward, look, I only need to develop my code for one architecture, Apple Silicon. Uh, well, they could still develop for x86, you know, for Windows users, but, you know, for the Mac users, all they got to worry about is Apple Silicon, and that covers iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, Apple TV, and all the Mac computers. So that's going to make their lives a lot easier with one code base to provide their software to all of those different devices. So it's definitely exciting. I'm excited as my current late 2015, 27-inch iMac is getting kind of long in the tooth and needs replacing. Uh, with this announcement, I'm trying to hold off until I can replace it with a 27-inch iMac that's built with Apple Silicon so that I'm all in on the new future of Apple computers, which is exciting for me. Uh, I've been trying to prolong the life of my 27-inch iMac a little bit more because I found out recently researching online that it's possible to take the Core i5 Mac that I have and upgrade the CPU to a Core i7 6700K CPU chip. Same form factor, same socket, and there's no problems. I've read dozens of articles online where people have done that on their no longer in warranty iMacs, you know, the exact same model as mine and it's been 100% successful. Um, I'm not quite brave enough to want to tear apart my iMac myself and try to do it. Um, I built my own custom computers for years, white box systems, but the iMac is a totally different creature. I mean, it's basically a MacBook Pro that's crammed into a monitor. Um, just like the Mac Minis are basically just a MacBook Pro that's put into a little aluminum cube. So it makes them a lot more difficult to work on. It's easier to damage components if you're not extremely careful and you don't have all of the right tools. So I probably will not tackle that myself. I don't know if I'll get lucky enough to find a local computer shop that can do it for me. I reached out to Micro Center uh, because they're an Apple authorized repair and warranty center as well as another company here in Georgia called Simply Mac and neither one of them will do it for me. And they told me it's not that they can't do it, but it violates their certification with Apple as Apple certified warranty partners. If Apple found out that they were doing service on out of warranty Apple hardware doing CPU upgrades, Apple could yank their certification and they wouldn't be able to work on Apple stuff anymore. Um, which sucks for me because I was hoping I could get somebody, you know, that I could pay a few hundred bucks and they could put the new CPU in mine and breathe some more life into it for a couple more, for another year or so um, until the 27 inch iMac on Apple Silicon's ready to go. So that's where I'm stuck right now. All right, but I don't want to bore you with any more of that stuff. So what are your thoughts on this move by Apple? Are you excited? Or as uh, you're not someone that's a nerd like me, Maybe you don't care <laughs> as long as your Mac continues to work and do what you need it to do. Maybe it doesn't matter to you. But let me know in the comments on YouTube or in the Facebook group and uh, we'll take it from there. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is name the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest that has been on the show to show that you're a listener. Once you're in the group, you're free to post your own original work. If you would like creative critique on your images, you can post them with the comment CC please, and myself or another pro in the group would be happy to give you some pointers. 
Additionally, I am the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group as well. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my project at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com. Remember, the first book goes on sale November 9th, 2020, so keep checking for updates about media appearances and book signings. All right, so that is going to wrap up this episode 95 of the Liam Photography Podcast. Now, one thing I did want to add, if you're interested in buying the first book, The Forgotten Pieces of Georgia, The Northwest Counties, I have put it on pre-order. So you can go to liamphotography.net and click the link there, and you can pre-order a signed copy for $30. And those copies will be shipping out on the week of November 9th of this year. All right, I will see you all again in another seven days.